You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organisations and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact and transact. So today we are joined by Dean Bregonier, uh, who has started a not-for-profit in the United States called Noticeability. So Dean joins us from Cambridge, Massachusetts, where he um, leads a not-for-profit, is a member of what he calls the most opinionated postcode in all of America, and you know certainly kind of um, you know I think built something of substance in terms of dealing with an issue that is very very close to our heart here at the Business as Unusual podcast. Yeah, Dean really speaks well about his passion, not only as a dyslexic, but able to empower people with dyslexia, to to harness their unique perspectives, to be able to affect change where they want to, or just be able to live a life uh, and a path that they really feel strongly about. One thing that I was pretty excited about was Joe said that he's going to make some t-shirts for Dean. Yeah, no, definitely. Those are uh, absolutely work in progress in the moment, and we'll certainly put up some pictures of those as they actually manifest. So um, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, if you check out um, our uh, baupod.co, you should be able to see some artwork of uh, of the shirts at some point. But certainly, you know, it's one, it's a, it's a tremendous cause, but I think Dean does a tremendous job of actually talking about the amount of people in history who have actually gone on to make profound change in our world who are actually dyslexic. And he talks about the different ways that actually dyslexics can actually explain the world back to itself. So whether that's through incredible narrative, whether that's through kind of new um, discoveries or different ways of actually looking at combining things. I think the thing that I really um, was just astounded by was one, my own ignorance of actually the the neuroscience that actually goes behind dyslexia. And then also how Dean um, is just able to explain that to you and you just instantly get it. So, I mean... I was um, obviously, you know, being a COVID situation and stuff, our audio wasn't exactly ideal for some some of the chat, but I was just absolutely blown away um, by how eloquently and how easily Dean um, is able to explain the, I guess, the the ramifications, good and bad, of dyslexia, but then also how much of a difference he's actually making in terms of kind of getting it into the education system. And I think, Patrick, what kind of um, struck me was that, you know, like what, um, where he's actually kind of enacting that change in terms of middle school, where the kind of, you know, as he puts it, like the labeling and kind of things like that actually start. Mm. What did you say? So in terms of you were asking me what? Well, no, I just like, you know, that, that did that really strike you? Like, because it really struck me that it's not that he's focused in on elementary school. It's more, that, and it's not that he's focused on high school. It's actually that he's focused on kind of middle school or kind of junior, junior high in our parlance. Yeah, I suppose to focus in on that is is an important time for a youngster's life or a middle-ager's life. That's when you really start comparing yourself and really starting assessing where you're wanting to head. And the things that he offers within their course is entrepreneurship, design, architecture, architecture, and one other, and one other that we can't remember. <laughs> um, oh, so should uh, say artist, artistry, artistry yeah. of course, of course. So that's his whole principle, and that's where he really finds dyslexic thrive in those fields, and he tries to get people with dyslexia to really explore those avenues within themselves. And when you get to hear the neuroscience behind it, there's a case behind what dyslexics bring and there's also a spectrum of dyslexia because no, no dyslexic is the same just like no person is the same um, so it's really fascinating to hear that Dean is dyslexic himself and he speaks a really good story I think it's well worth listen it should be duly noted that Dean 
Odegaard undressed as we were talking. It's very hot where he's. Yes, it was. It was. So in in his defense, but also in Dean's defense, he's also been to Australia and uh, he. So he actually studied down here for a year, um, and he's actually coming back out here. He would have been out here this year if it wasn't for um, COVID. But he'll be back out here to do um, some talks, etc. In uh, 2021, um, you know, kind of I guess uh, pandemic easing and uh, and all things going well, etc. Around the pandemic, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, in terms of kind of what he actually has to talk about and the difference it would make in the Australian context, it's uh, I'm sure he'll be woke, um, welcomed with open arms. My name is Dean Bragonier. I am currently in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, we're a bit, a bit of a heat wave here. Uh, what, we're 90 degrees here, so I suppose that's about 30 degrees for you. Uh, we just actually came down from uh, the state of Maine, which is uh, we're, we're tucked up right there along the Canadian border uh, during this whole lockdown and uh, figured, uh, you know, better to, to have to worry about moose and bear than, uh, than, than infectious people. So <laughs> we, we, we've been up in the mountains and uh, kind of wish I was still there, to be honest with you. <laughs> Fantastic, and and Dean, so uh, so you're a um, you're a passionate Bruins fan as well from uh, from what you've been been sharing a little bit a bit off air. Talk to me a little bit about your relationship with the city city of Boston. So obviously, it's kind of where where your not for profit um, is is set up, but also kind of just talk to me about kind of what life is actually like for you inside of Boston and why you call it home. Sure, you know I'm I'm actually a, a native New Yorker. Uh, and I moved up here to Boston with my mother when I was in high school. Um, I wound up uh, finishing up high school and then moving away and living in different parts of the of the country. But came back to Boston as a uh, you know as a young family, and it's an extraordinary place. Uh, Massachusetts is a beautiful state, uh, just with access to both mountains and ocean. But it's uh, the city of Cambridge, which is where I live, is is a very um, intellectual, um, fascinating uh, city. And so far as we have these tremendous universities located here, um, but it also has this uh, sort of this identity. People, people refer to it as the, the People's Republic of Cambridge. We'd like to distinguish ourselves and, and, and uh, one of the, the most popular coffee mugs at the local grocery store is uh, our, zip, our zip code and then the words, the world's most opinionated zip code. Uh, people <laughs> from Cambridge uh, seem to think they've got the, all of the solutions to life worked out and that, that makes for uh, interesting neighbors. Beautiful, beautiful, and um, and so kind of your can you can you talk to us a little bit about kind of what you what you do day to day? So kind of the um, behind the kind of noticeability, what is it that you're actually tackling, and what what is it that you're actually trying to change in the world? Absolutely, you know, I, I've I've had the very circuitous uh, sort of a serpentine uh, career path, and and it started off as a as a young entrepreneur in the restaurant business. Uh, Learning, learning what that took, what was required of me, and uh, quite frankly, recognizing that uh, some of the characteristics and the traits that accompany my dyslexia gave me a rare opportunity to be successful in a very competitive industry. 
I, I wound up um, following, like I said, various uh, passions, starting different nonprofits and, and, and serving uh, as a board member of others. And about six years ago, recognized that there was an opportunity to blend all of these um, these little nuggets of experience into into what I'm doing currently. And you know, without getting ahead of myself too much, I'll, I will say in summary that what my nonprofit organization does is we create enrichment curricula for students with dyslexia that highlights the cognitive assets of this learning profile. So, so as, 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 as wonky as that may sound, the reality is that the neuroscience that is emerging around uh, dyslexia uh, why it is that individuals with dyslexia have such a difficult time uh, learning how to read, uh, such a horrific uh, time spelling uh, words, actually is rooted in, in, in literally a different brain construction. Uh, there's, there's a variety of different theories as to why it is that the dyslexic brain functions the way it does. Um, and, and why it presents with these certain challenges. But one thing is starting to, uh, to, to gain uh, some, some chatter and some scuttlebutt, which is the fact that there is a correlation between individuals with dyslexia and disproportionate rates of success in certain career paths. And that can be attributed to what these cognitive advantages provide those individuals. And when properly harnessed, like I said, uh, people with dyslexia tend to be quite outstanding in in certain in certain vocations. And so, that, I mean, I've, now, I've, I know I've, I said a lot there. No, so we can, we no, can add any of that. No, that's <laughs> amazing, Dean. Thank you. And the, can you um, can you just take us through? I guess kind of like what the you know I'm really I'm really intrigued about the kind of the the cognitive differences in terms of the the brain is actually constructed differently. So I mean what what is emerging in this space like how are we finding this out for one um and two what are the differences? Sure so you know so I'll be the first one to tell you that uh you know I am not a neuroscientist and 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 therefore really not qualified qualified to do anything but regurgitate what I've heard others say. So that's what I'm going to do. You know, I think, I think it's, it's, it's important to start with what dyslexia is. I think uh, there's, there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, and, and a lot of very uh, understandable confusion as to how it presents. And we know many people believe that it's this uh, quite simply a flipping of B's and D's and Q's and P's and, while that is symptomatic of dyslexia, the, the real cause uh, of dyslexia seems to be a lack of synchronicity between the visual and the language parts of the brain. So the, the process of reading is an artificial medium, right? Human beings decided that these little squiggly lines were going to be called letters and that each letter represented a sound and that when we string those sounds together, we create words. Now, that is essentially the act of making the invisible visible, mm-hmm. right? You take the spoken word and now all of a sudden they're creating a, a, a visual representation. Now, for some reason, the dyslexic brain has a difficult time 
um, connecting those wires. And when you look at a brain scan of a person with dyslexia reading, you'll see that the areas of the brain that are supposed to light up when a person is reading do not. And what's actually happening is that the brain wiring is taking this very bizarre, completely uh, inefficient route from processing the visual into uh, the language section of the brain. Now, there are a couple of theories on this. One that I subscribe to is outlined by uh, two doctors named Brock and Fernette Ide. They're a married couple. They wrote a book called The Dyslexic Advantage. And they postulate that what accounts for this is the fact that we've got these things called mini columns that are embedded in the cortex of our brain. And these mini columns serve as like these telephone poles for axons. And so this communication system uh, is contingent upon these mini columns. Now, the proximity of those mini columns in the cortex is distinctly different for people with dyslexia. Now, Traditionally, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a, a hand visual, which you, which you, which you can't see, um, but I, I, if, if you were to take, um, for example, and these, these numbers aren't accurate, but if you were to say that the mini columns in a neurotypical brain are an inch apart, which they're not, these are ridiculous numbers, but an inch apart, well, for the dyslexic brain, those mini columns tend to be an inch and a half apart, meaning right. they are further apart than the neurotypical person. Now, an individual with autism, for example, the proximity may be a half an inch. And so what you're seeing is that the entire communication network of the brain, being these mini columns, is impacted physically by the way they are located adjacent to each other. Now, these two authors postulate that that is the reason why you have both these challenges when it comes to acquiring the skill of reading, but it also indicates why it is that these cognitive advantages exist. Now, I don't have uh, enough uh, of your patients to go the incredible detail as of it as this. Um, the the authors come up with an acronym which is M-I-N-D, MIND, and it stands for Material, Interconnected, Narrative, and Dynamic Reasoning. These are the four cognitive advantages that dyslexics have. Now, of course, dyslexia is on a continuum, right? So an individual may have a higher level of material reasoning and a lower level of narrative reasoning, and another dyslexic may have a different battery of those strengths. But simply put, the material reasoning is our ability to sort of manipulate visual images in our mind's eye, almost as if you're rendering things in in a virtual reality, so that if I were to ask you to picture the number three in your mind, the dyslexic can actually take that visual image and rotate it so that you could flip that three backwards. Now, if I asked you to rotate it so that you were looking down at the three, the dyslexic brain will allow you to sort of manipulate that image so you're looking down at it. Now, what if it was sort of to 
tilt on its side as if it was a sort of an exaggerated W. The dyslexic mind can do all of that manipulation mentally, which is why those of us with high material reasoning tend to succeed in architecture, uh, certain engineering fields, uh, to name a few. So interconnected reasoning is that ability to see seemingly disparate pieces of information uh, and how they relate to each other in a way where a pattern or, or, or a narrative emerges. So if you were to take, uh, for example, uh, a dyslexic like Henry Ford, who was in the audio auto business, but didn't come up with the assembly line until he actually visited a slaughterhouse where they were, you know, essentially, um, you know, slaughtering cows and, 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 and generating uh, cuts of beef. And what he saw in that slaughterhouse he took away and applied it to the audio auto industry, which enabled him to be basically the forefather of the assembly line and reduce his car manufacturing from 12 hours per automobile down to two and a half. Now, most of us would look at a slaughterhouse as being vastly different from anything that has to do with audio, auto production, yet Henry Ford would have that high interconnected reasoning to allow him to see um, trends and patterns that he could translate from one industry to the next. Now, again, there's about a gazillion examples that I could use, and you need only look at other dyslexics like Richard Branson or Charles Schwab. These are individuals who quite literally see trends and, and patterns and and bet on them. And they do very well for themselves uh, through their through their relative ventures. Um, another one is, so that's MI, and then there's narrative reasoning. This is something that I, I find uh, particularly compelling. This is a dyslexic's ability to tell a story, right? If you look at uh, historical dyslexics like Winston Churchill or John F. Kennedy, these are individuals who have a high propensity to tell a story that relates to their personal experience, but that they are able to galvanize uh, large populations to believe in their vision and subscribe to their vision to the point where when I name those two names, everybody um, you know, over a certain age knows of those two individuals. This narrative reasoning is something that is very popular among uh, dyslexic politicians. It's also one of the main reasons why dyslexics tend to be so well represented in Hollywood um, or through the written word. I mean, Agatha Christie uh, was a very famous dyslexic author. And most people say, I thought, you know, I thought dyslexics and, and, and reading have an issue. Yeah, we don't have an issue with expression. We have an issue with decoding the written word. Yeah. Agatha Christie, arguably one of, one of the world's most famous authors, had the ability to create narrative in a compelling way. The last one is dynamic reasoning. This tends to be a little bit more difficult to understand, but if you think about it in, 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 as it applies to earth science, uh, it's particularly compelling. Uh, the dyslexic uh, with high dynamic reasoning skills is able to understand things that transpired 
decades, centuries, millennia before they were even alive. So clearly they did not witness it, but then are able to almost fast forward into the future and anticipate what is going to happen based on historic trends. So if it sounds like we have the ability to fortune tell, yes, perhaps to a degree. I'll give you an example. Uh, You know, the ability to understand erosion, right? How, you know, you're standing on the edge of a lake, right? And you can almost rewind back to the sort of the, you know, a convergent zone of tectonic plates, which gives rise to this mountain. And then as centuries pass and rainwater cascades down that mountain front, it slowly carves a path that eventually goes from a stream into a river and then swells up and collects in this lake that you are currently standing on the edge of. Well, the dyslexic can kind of say, all right, based on those historical trends, anticipating what might happen in the future, I can suspect that this lake will actually swell to the capacity where it's going to cascade over this land bridge, et cetera, et cetera. They're able to almost fast forward into the future based on a historical understanding that they didn't witness. So when you talk about dyslexics as they apply to, um, you know, earth sciences, absolutely. You'll find a lot of us in those in that profession. But also, once again, going back to that interconnected reasoning, when you start to look at market trends, I mean, for example, COVID-19, right? The dyslexic may not have had firsthand account of what was happening in Italy or in in China, but is able to then sort of fast forward and say, huh, okay, what happens when this gets introduced into a society like America where this rugged individualism means that, you know, we have a disdain for government overreaching? Well, what's going to happen? They can kind of fast forward and say, oh, this isn't going to look good for the United States, right? This dynamic reasoning is something that is very interesting and very complicated um, in its application, but quite uh, magical uh, when you when you tap into an individual with dyslexia who has high dynamic reasoning because you can just basically sit back and enjoy the ride. They're going to tell you about the future of all sorts of different fascinating things. So. <laughs> I, I've given you a very, very uh, truncated right. synopsis of what this book has to offer. And I would strongly encourage anybody to either listen if you're dyslexic to the book or read it if you're not. It's a fascinating read. But again, you asked, I told. Sorry for that long-winded answer. You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual. The podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organizations, and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact, and transact. Your hosts, Patrick Beggs of Per Production, a production house that works with organizations to create media that strengthens culture and communicates that culture to the world. And Joe Rogers, CEO of The Contenders, a brand agency famous for crafting brands which deliver results for those who work for them, shop for them, and support them. For more information, head to baupod.co. And if you find this podcast insightful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to our conversations. Great to hear, Dean. Um, 
especially as someone with dyslexic, that really pumps up the tyres, I suppose, that you don't often experience in society. Well, personally, I haven't heard many of those things before, and I was wondering really where your model comes from in terms of empowering, the empowering model where you put it into education that exists today and the model that exists in America at the moment uh, and more broadly online, it looks like you're heading there. But what is that model and how how do you see the problems and challenges that dyslexics face? Because there's also a darker side to dyslexics and the challenges that they face in society. Yes, there's this, uh, it sounds like there's an amazing superpower element to it, but there's also another element to it where uh, a lot of kids especially have struggled through schools um, and that struggle and confidence battle has really put them on a different path, say, to a Winston Churchill. Can you explain how your model is looking to change that narrative? Absolutely. Wait a minute. So, Patrick, this means that you're dyslexic as well. Is that what you just said? It is, yeah. I waited until you said there were superpowers involved, and then um, I said, <laughs> I just, yeah, but I am. Oh, man. I mean, look, look, I love Aussies and I love dyslexics, which is why, clearly, <laughs> Patty, you're my new best friend, brother. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so you know, uh, as well as I do, that none of us have ever heard of these strength-based uh, sort of narrative that I just shared with you, we certainly weren't introduced to it in school. And so as a result, school for us is a very harrowing episode in our lives, one that stretches 18, 22, 26 years, right? And what we are constantly made aware of are the deficiencies associated with our dyslexia, right? It is basically the first litmus test of one's intelligence that is given in school, right? It's finger painting, and then all of a sudden they launch into reading, and guess what? You and I can't do it very well. And so the knee-jerk reaction among most people, including well-trained educators, is, ooh, Patty and Dean, those are the dumb kids, right? Which which, Which couldn't be further from the truth. Because in actuality, you have to be average or above average intelligence in order to be dyslexic. So the fact that we are bombarded on a daily basis with this incredibly detrimental and narrative dialogue means that even if you are the most strong-willed individual, you are going to succumb to this fictitious belief that because you have difficulty with with reading that you are somehow less than and probably internalize the belief that you're stupid. And that couldn't be not only further from the truth, but couldn't be any more detrimental to the individual and society at large. And the reason why is because if that individual is able to recognize the strength associated with the same exact brain construction that makes the process of reading so difficult, what they can do is they can balance that negative diatribe with this assurance that they have these attributes that have an incredible amount of application to the working world which is where we are going to spend 40, 60, 70 years of our life. And what I see, and it breaks my heart, it really does, because I still see myself in it, as I see these young kids 
who have deteriorated their belief in themselves because that is what they were given by the adults. The educators fed them this belief system. And so what happens is we are so desperate for any sort of channel for us to find self-worth that the first time somebody puts a VB in our hand or a Forex in our hand, we slurp that thing down and we decide, oh my gosh, I could be the party boy, right? Now all of a sudden we've got an identity, but it's an identity forged in self-medication. We all know that doesn't end well. Or if you're an inner city dyslexic and all the, you know, the boys at the end of the day are going out and deciding that maybe, you know, picking up a candy bar and sticking it in your pocket without paying for it or throwing a brick through a window is a low threshold of acceptance into a social group, you know what? We're going to resonate with those opportunities because we've already crossed off the list that we are somehow intellectually capable or able to survive in academics. That's why I think so many of us wind up going down these less than virtuous paths in life. However, if we are able to insert, and I will answer your question eventually, and I appreciate your patience, but I'm long-winded. I apologize for that. But if we are able to introduce these individuals to these strengths, and as importantly, if we can introduce educators to what these strengths look like, then both the child as well as the educator are start to going to, they are going to begin to perceive the individual differently. Now, on the individual level, like I said, you will be able to start hanging your hat on the fact that you have these strengths. And once you learn about how these strengths are cer- apply to certain professional paths, you can say, oh my gosh, you know, architecture? You mean the forts that I've been building out in my backyard since I was six years old? That's actually architecture? That has relevance. I understand that that is now something I can pursue, which means that the very arduous journey of academia all of a sudden has context. And Patty, as you and I well know, they going to school every day, I want to use the word, I'm going to use the word, it sucks, okay? And we have to find purpose if we are going to expect our dyslexic siblings to muster the energy to go into school every day and face that level of defeat. If we understand what our strengths are and understand how they apply to life after school, we now have what we as an organization called academic tenacity. We have a willingness to stick with academics when they get difficult and hopefully reduce the rates of attrition within dyslexics. So that's what we, Noticeability, the organization that I created five years ago, have focused on is creating courses that can be introduced to, uh, we call it middle school. I don't know what you all call that. So that's like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-olds. Courses that introduce them to entrepreneurship, engineering, architecture, and the arts, four top professions for dyslexics. And then within the context of those professions, highlight these MIND strengths that I just explained. And then during the course, 
teach what's called social emotional learning, which is basically how do you engage in active listening, negotiation, conflict resolution, all of the things that we as individuals, dyslexic or not, need in order to be successful individuals in life. But when you combine these three things, a strength-based approach to dyslexia, introduction to professions that we do best in, and provide the social-emotional learning that these students need, what you get are students that become reinvigorated by the academic process, feel better about themselves, are in theory less inclined to engage in criminal activity, drug and alcohol abuse, etc., and on the very plus side, are more likely to pursue professions where they can be a success. I'm giving air quotes. By success, I mean a self-actualized human being, a person that feels that they are making a valuable contribution to society. May they be a professor. May they be a trash collector. A self-actualized person is somebody that is pursuing their true potential. And that is our dream for all of our students to find a pathway to self-actualization. Did I answer your question or did I just make it more complicated? No, you definitely you definitely answered the question there, Dean. So thanks for doing that. And I just yeah wanted to give the listeners um, a chance to, because I've listened to your talk and hearing some of the stats coming out of the States and hearing the cracks that are there for dyslexics if they don't have access to some of these other narratives and science, neuroscience behind um, the condition that is dyslexia, I think is is paramount. And I just wanted to balance that perspective to give people a, a sense of the weight, I suppose, and to the, um, the the gravity of your cause or your educational model. I think it's a it's a good thing, and it's a, an amazing thing for kids to be able to grab onto. But also, parent from personal experience, I think parents and supportive people who really love that child often struggle to understand what dyslexia is, I suppose. And I think noticeability is going a long way to helping people understand that, not only the child, but also the people around that child. And that's just as as important for people. Patrick, you know, one of the things that we hear from parents is they, a sense of, uh, of desperation, right? They, they're most often uh, struggling with the school demanding accommodations that the school is unwilling to give. They feel isolated from their child, especially if they're not dyslexic because they don't know how to uh, be both compassionate and simultaneously encouraging their child to stick with it and you'll overcome these challenges, etc. And what, what, what we see is uh, a level of desperation that, that I think can be addressed with this strength-based approach. And the example I'll give you is, is from the book that I referred to earlier called The Dyslexic Advantage. In the United States, we have this uh, standardized test that is required for children, excuse me, young adults who are applying to college and university. It's called the SAT. It is rudimentary, archaic, and barbaric. I assure you that. It is the worst uh, assessment of intelligence that I think was probably ever created. However, it still is something that is mandatory if you want to go to uh, to college or university. The 
top score is 1,600. You get 500 points for essentially filling out your name correctly. The authors of the Dyslexic Advantage talk about something called the 700 Club. These are individuals who are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, global entrepreneurs, essentially change agents on the highest caliber, all of whom have dyslexia and who scored a cumulative score of 700 or less on their SATs. And the authors asked them, with all due respect, how on earth did you change your life trajectory from somebody who scored 700 or less on your SATs into becoming the person that you are today? And every answer, while unique in its description, is essentially the same response. Each individual can tell the authors in detail the time of day, the clothing that the individual was wearing, the person who said the following words. You're good at that. I had no idea that you were such a good artist. Wow, I, man, the way you, you know, kicked that footy ball, the way you can replace, unbelievable. I had no idea you were so good at that. Wow, you're a painter or you're that dose of positive affirmation was enough for these individuals to grasp onto it, stick it in their back pocket, and change the entire trajectory of their life. That positive affirmation is what I think is the panacea to the dyslexic plight. And what we as parents, as educators, as aunts, uncles, grandparents, I don't care who you are, when you come across a dyslexic, to take a moment and to observe and watch where they, I'm doing air quotes again, where they lose time, the activity that they get engaged in, where you have to call them in. I'm not talking about screen time. I'm talking about when they go out and they start building something and you got come on, it's dinner, let's go, stop, stop. That losing time, whatever they are doing to lose time is an indication of what they are truly passionate about. And as adults, if we can stop and notice that ability and articulate it, that seems to be something that these individuals are so ravenous for that it can change the way they look at their lives. And so what we've tried to do as an organization is create a systemic 700 club opportunity by baking into our curricula opportunities for the individuals to see that talent within themselves so that if they don't have the aunt, the uncle, the coach, the brother, the mom, the dad, they will at least be able to flip that switch of inspiration for themselves. And once they do, you cannot turn it off. Once they believe in themselves, it's like giving a, a glass of cold water to a person dying of thirst in the desert. They will not let it go. Will it work for everybody? No. But will it work for most? Well, certainly the research that this, these two authors have done indicate that it is arguably the most efficient way to make a difference in the dyslexic's life. And so that is where our organization's name comes from, right? Notice ability. And when you say it, 
out loud enough times, you will hear no disability, right? It's a double entendre. It's a subtlety, but it's a significant paradigm shift from looking at what you're bad at and reinforcing, oh, poor kid can't read. You're dumb. Everybody needs to, you know, you know, some sort of menial manual labor in your life. Better get used to it, to noticing ability. Wow, young Richard Branson. You're pretty, uh, you've got some creative ideas, and boom, he becomes who he is. I'm not saying it's that efficient. It's not going to happen with everybody. But let's take the model that seems to have worked, at least anecdotally, and replicate that with evidence that is being discovered on a neuroscientific basis. Beautiful, beautiful, Dean. Thank, thank wow. you so so much for that. I mean, I think you know, um, here's here's to here's to more, right? I think that's that's the thing. So it's kind of as well, you need to notice as many people as we possibly can. And I, you know, I love the fact that your your approach is focused in on kind of providing that positive affirmation and this idea of kind of looking at where people actually actually lose time. But we really appreciate. I mean, I could ch- I could chat to you all day, um, and just love hearing the story. But thank you so much for spending a bit of time out with us, and uh, we'll let you get back to the uh, the wonderful world of playoff hockey and uh and heat waves in boston massachusetts thank you very much guys guys listen you got uh, uh, you got me on the line with an aussie and a canadian i mean like this is like this is my happy place man. i spent six six months in melbourne uni right living in trinity college thinking that I could drive around the country only making it as far north as Cairns and just realizing, <laughs> man, Aussies have got it made. Australia's got to be one of the coolest places on earth. And then all of a sudden, our friendly neighbors to the north, you know, got to gotta adore the fact that Canada just seems to do everything right and has a big old smile on its face. So hey, from one desperate American uh, to, to, to a fellow Aussie and a Canuck, man, Thank you for having me on. It's been great. Thank you so much, Dean. Beautiful. Thank you for listening to BAU Business as Unusual. Subscribe and learn more at baupod.co. That's baupod.co.